Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. Shauna didn't want me to say back in the studio anymore, but she's not with me here in the studio, so I'm going to say it. Uh, I'm fine solo today. However, I'm not entirely solo. I do have an amazing special guest with us today. I am joined with Jeremy Pierre. Jeremy Pierre, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing well, but you're already lying to your audience, man. I don't know about amazing. <laughs> well, I find you amazing because you've been super helpful in my ministry. So, yeah. There you go. I teed you up perfectly. Yes, you did. You did. Yeah. Uh, but, Jeremy, you are the sixth dean of the Billy Graham School of Missions and Evangelism and Ministry since, well, last year, right? Uh, mm-hmm. At Southern Seminary. You want to share a little bit more about uh, who you are with our listeners, maybe some helpful things that they may not know? Sure. Yeah, I teach biblical counseling largely, and which which we see as an arm of practical theology here at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, it's my joy to do that. I'm also a pastor. It's my joy to be a pastor as well. And between both of those roles, I do uh, and have done a lot of counseling, both in the church, outside the church, for the community, um, for other you know other folks and friends. And so this is very near and dear to my heart because it's a means by which we can deliver the knowledge of God, a theological understanding of who we are, who we were created to be, uh, to the particular troubles that people face in the real world. Yeah, that's that's great, man. And uh, I'm glad that you're a pastor as well, because uh, a lot of people in the academic world are not pastors. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that right. that's good. Um, but today I have Jeremy on, um, and I hope to have him on in a few more episodes because he's written some books, some very helpful books for the local church. And uh, one I want to highlight today. Uh, this was actually uh, this isn't your most recent book, uh, but it is a very helpful book nonetheless. But back in 2016, you authored the Dynamic Heart and Daily Life: Connecting Christ to the Human Experience. What uh, what compelled you to write this book, Jeremy? Well, I what compelled me is I loved so much of what I was reading in the biblical counseling field uh, from guys like David Pallison and Ed Welch and and Emlett and and many other folks that I respect. And it was this constant reference to the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart. And there was a, a, occasionally an article or 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 a little section of a chapter of a book that would acknowledge what that is, but probably in a form that wasn't as expansive. And so, so basically I was trying to find what's the system behind all these wonderful insights that are kind of scattered throughout all these, these variety of books and things. And it, it made me have my research interest for my PhD be what is an, uh, uh, an anthropology of human experience. Okay. So in other words, how do we answer the question from scripture? Not merely what is man, but how is he described as functioning? And that really is what bore this book. Uh, I, I wrote my dissertation actually on the anthropological terminology used in scripture, but with that question, how does it describe us as functioning? Because that's really where you can kind of land the knowledge of God in daily experience. You don't go and talk to people about this is the structure of your personhood, though that's a necessary (laughs) background to understand. No, this is why you're reacting the way you are. This is why you feel this emotion uh, attached to this desire. 
this is what you were actually made to be as you utilize your personhood to know God and to love others. Yeah, that's good, man. That's really good. And really to that end, the way that you had the book structured, uh, it's structured in three sections and that I I thought that were very thoughtfully articulated. Uh, really the nature and heart of how it responds dynamically to life. And so can you just summarize really quickly the first section, which is the beauty of human experience, which is how the heart responds dynamically? Sure. Yeah. So my main argument is that we have to see the way we respond to the world from the heart, but that is a dimensional reality that, that there's, it's multi-layered or multifaceted, whatever, whatever language you want to use. In other words, when we say the heart, we're not being simplistic. We're acknowledging that there's a cognitive or thinking element to it. There's an affective or feeling element to it. And there's a volitional or willful uh, element to it. And we become lopsided in our approach to people if we become exclusive on any one of those things without acknowledging all of those things. Right. So in other words, you know, when 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 somebody is depressed, okay, you don't just fix that by telling them the right things they ought to believe or the things they ought to think instead of what they are currently thinking. You also don't fix that by merely uh, acknowledging their feelings or helping them move from feeling negatively this idea of sadness or maybe even numbness to now let's go to positive feelings of joy or relief or happiness. And you also don't fix it merely by giving them behavioral instruction like, hey, if you're depressed, just get up and go serve somebody and you'll feel better. Okay. Now, everything that I just said there was was legitimate but legitimate as a component of a whole. Right. So depression is a cognitive, affective, and volitional expression or response of the heart to the contextual realities outside of a person. And and sometimes, honestly, sometimes our depression is just a is an accurate registration that we live in a depressing world. It's it's broken in ways that aren't going to be fixed until the Lord returns. And so that doesn't mean then that we're all locked into depression and we just sort of reinforce that and that's the right response. I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is there will be some accurate and some inaccurate aspects of the way one is thinking, the way one, what one is desiring, and then what sort of intentions and choices flow out of that. So, so Mike, the reason that's important is I think sometimes we all tend to be lopsided in our approach to people, depending on our own personalities, our own even cultural backgrounds, sometimes even our church backgrounds. And we tend to approach, okay, when they're having problems in their lives, I just need to instruct and educate them. Well, that's emphasizing cognition to the exclusion of the others. Right. Or when they're having a hard time, I just need to, I just need to sort of pat their hand and resonate with how they feel. Okay, well, that might be lifting up the affective aspect to the exclusion of the others. Or some, sometimes when, when somebody comes hurting, we just want to tell them what to do. Like, dude, just do this as the next thing. Well, that's not wrong, but it, it could be if you're doing that exclusively to the neglect of the other two. So I hope that's a helpful and clear way of saying uh, a, a, a sort of a large section and sort of complex section. No, that's good. And, and really... Uh... 
you know, the, the point of that is, you know, this is a holistic response to all of what man is and his faculties. And oftentimes, to your point, uh, when we engage with people, we tend to, as, as far as trying to help somebody, we do sort of have a one-dimensional response. Yeah. Um, and it's not a whole person sort of engagement. So yeah, that's, that's really good, man. And then, so the, the second part, so kind of getting into really kind of the, the how now we're kind of getting into the what, so mm-hmm. can you summarize the second section, which is the context of human experience as far as what the heart dynamically responds to? Yeah. So, so that was my attempt to acknowledge that everything I just described about sort of this dimensional response system that's built into our personhood. That's not, we don't grow up in a vacuum, right? We're, we're not, we're responding to something. In other words, there are realities external to us that we don't control, we don't determine, we were placed in, we have some influence on, but but largely it's, it's given, It's it occurs to us rather than from us. And so if we're gonna counsel and care responsibly for people, we have to acknowledge those contextual influences. Not everybody's born into the same family. And not every family will display the truth about everything from the way a husband and a wife should treat each other to the way children should be treated and nurtured and cared for. Yeah. Um, not everybody's going to grow up in the same culture, right? where certain things are valued and uplifted as beautiful and attractive and other things are mocked as stupid and foolish. And each culture has its own sort of mix of those things. Well, that reality, that contextual reality has an influence and a shaping influence on the heart's response on those very things that we just talked about. So again, going back to my example of depression, if you really want to help somebody you're not just acting like their depression is a self-started independent response in their soul. You're paying attention to what are the contextual factors that have provoked this or have conditioned this or reinforced this. And you see that oftentimes it's going to be different for everybody, right? But oftentimes it's a, a, a particular way they're responding to a relationship or the way they're responding to events in their life that they didn't expect or are disappointed with. Sometimes it's just less discernible. It's just the reality of living in a fallen world that doesn't work right. We just kind of live under this basic disappointment for years and years and years and years that accumulates. So my point is being a wise applier of scripture, okay, taking verses like Proverbs 20 verse 5, seriously right that the purposes of the heart are like are like deep waters but but a man of understanding will draw it out it's not apparent why someone's always responding the way they are but there's a process through which we can recognize their their context we can recognize their response and start to make those things clear for the benefit of the person to acknowledge yeah that's that's really good and and I think that's a that's a really good point that I think is is missed a lot of times because again in in you know functionally speaking most churches the body I mean they're pretty biblically literate right they have a they have yeah. a biblical competency they know the word uh, but much to to the very point you just made is um, they're not really great appliers of the word yeah. right um, and and I think that's why in this book you do a really great job of drawing that out uh, and to your point about Proverbs twenty verse five of 
you know, here's some just let's let's establish some foundational pieces and then getting into the third piece, which is where I think we, you know, we now begin to apply sort of uh, the fundamentals that you established in the first two sections. And the third s- section, again, you shift the structure of the book a little bit. You move from establishing concepts and categories to then theologically applying them through counseling. And so in uh, the third section there, uh, there's in this theological application through the counseling, you provide again, like a good Baptist, what I'll call for ARD methodology. Uh, I don't know if that's a fair uh, description of that, uh, but can you speak to the four R's, which are read, reflect, relate, and renew? Yeah, I can. And honestly, I tell my classes all the time, I've come to hate alliteration. And I'm <laughs> like, if I ever do another edition of this book, I'm going to mess up that alliteration somehow. But it's my attempt to just sort of not give you a step-by-step trajectory, but rather give you four tasks that we're kind of always doing when we're applying theology, whether in counseling or whether we're mentoring someone, whether we're parenting a teenager, like just whatever it is, there's an element of read where we're reading their heart responses. We're, We're kind of like trying to discern what I just walked us through. Like, what are they responding to contextually? And then how do the elements of their response, their thinking, their feeling, their choosing, how's the, how are those ingredients in the way they're responding? And what does the Lord have to say about that, right? So so, so you're reading, okay, what's going on? So, so that's really your attempt, and it's a humble attempt, right? Because you're not the Holy Spirit. You can't read their heart directly. But it's to take sort of this biblical framework that we're talking about and just listen to the way they're telling their story. And to start to categorize and organize it, even in our own minds and our own approach, in order to prep for when we apply scripture in a second. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's the read part. Yeah, that's good. Just really quick on that too. So for those of you who are counselors and pastors, and um, this is how real time applicable this is, right? In other words, so the read part really is synonymous with the reality of data gathering. Essentially, that's what we're doing, right? Um, that's a category that we're we're gathering that data. We're trying to um, going back to those dimensions of you know what they're thinking, how they're yep. feeling, where there are where are their affections, are they apathetic? All of those all of those pieces that fall within those categories help us really sort of assimilate kind of the the data that we're gathering to to really help apply which you'll get into as we go, but that's just a super helpful point. Yeah, thanks Mike. So so you're ans- you're trying to answer the why question in terms of why are they responding the way that they are. And then that that leads to the second thing is reflect by reflect, I don't mean your personal reflection. I mean like the metaphor of a mirror. You're 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 reflecting back to your counselee the, the how what the why question, why they're responding the way they are. Now, you're not doing this by telling them, "Hey, I'm the Holy Spirit, and I know what's in your heart. This is what's in your heart." Yeah. But you're you're and the book walks you through this practically. But you're asking the kinds of questions that provoke self reflection as you discern what what might be going on in their heart. So you're, you're asking questions like, hey, listen, you tend to feel most depressed after conversations with this person or the contents of what you described to me, it kind of orbits a lot around your vocation and your job, how you talk about what you expected out of life at this point in your life. Why do you think that is? What do you think you're wanting when you're feeling this particular way? How would you describe that? Or... What do you feel like when you when you enter in a conversation with that person and you leave feeling that way? What do you think that that they were not giving you that maybe you kind of expected or would prefer them to give to you? Those are the types of questions that compel 
self-reflection to identify some of those desires, some of those beliefs, some of those commitments that might be rattling around in their hearts and they're not fully aware of it. So Mike, that's kind of the nature of, you know, who we are as people. God designed us. I don't think there's a subconscious. I actually think that's an unbiblical idea. Uh, but I do think there are varying degrees of consciousness, right? And this this bears out with many verses in the Bible to talk about um, the the nature of our ability to see ourselves and understand ourselves, especially especially when it comes to our sinfulness, right? Sin has a self-deceptive element to it, um, you know, from 1 John 1, we know this, Hebrews 3, other places. And so what that means is there's a degree to which we can't in the moment identify exactly what's motivating the way we're interpreting or the way we're responding to a situation. Well, a good counselor who's got a biblical anthropology is going to ask the kind of questions that help someone reflect on this in order to kind of, if you will, set their heart on the table in front of them so that we can now ask, okay, how do I need Jesus in the specifics of what I see in my heart? How does the gospel compel me to understand in a different way the issues of my life? Yeah. That that hardness of that relationship and all the rest. So that'll get us to the third thing, but I hope that made sense on the on that second piece, reflect. No, it does because what it does is it sets up those theological categories to help them kind of um, draw from, right? To help yeah, them make yeah. sense of the things that they internally speaking cannot make sense of themselves. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're, you're basically like a really good external set of eyes for them Yeah. on, on kind of on, on, on them, on why they're responding the way they are. Yeah. That's good. So, so that takes you to, to, to the third R is relate. Um, and by this, I mean, not that you're relating to them, though that's definitely true. I mean, you're relating them to Christ. You are seeking to show that the person of Jesus Christ or the triune God himself is compelling you to relate to him in the context of your responses and and the difficulties of what you're going through. So in, so again our depression example. Depression becomes as you identify the why's behind it. Those become very specific ways that they become more aware of their need for the Lord and their need to trust him in specific ways, right? So if a key ingredient in their depression is just that kind of gripping disappointment with life with uh, over an accumulated suffering right for many many years is god trustworthy with those things and in one sense you can answer that with a simple yes and no but god always is wanting more than that as he forms and develops our souls Mm -hmm. he wants a yes with an increasing concession of the heart to him in other words i know I know cognitively and in a surface way to say, yes, he's trustworthy, but I need to say it, yes, more wholeheartedly, where I'm actually able to entrust to him some of these deeply held desires. Lord, I thought my life would look like X, Y, or Z at this point, and I am learning to trust that if X, Y, and Z do not occur, your goodness is not defined by those things. You have been good to me in various ways. Okay. That's, that's one example. But then, but then the Bible is dimensional enough to, that's only one part of it. Another theme in scripture is life really is disappointing sometimes. 
And Ecclesiastes is a real book in our Bible that says, look, the battle doesn't always go to the strong. The race doesn't always go to the swift. The honor doesn't go to the one with the most knowledge, but but this is Ecclesiastes 9, but time and chance happen to them both. It's a grievous thing that the Lord's given to the children of man to bear. So there's a sense in which you can say, brother, sister, the Bible affirms that there is an inexplicability to the things that we're disappointed with and feel the loss of. And you can trust God even there. He's, he, that there's an affirmation there. And that, that takes their vision of God as this like sort of small or maybe distant guy who's, yeah, he's in charge of everything, but he's distant to my experience of disappointment. No, no, no. That puts him right in the middle of it. He knows exactly what it is to feel that sense of longing and disappointment. And, and the good news is he's built something better that that's meant to compel you towards him. So it just becomes a fundamentally different way of understanding my own response of depression when I'm, when I'm, when I'm relating it to the Lord. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes perfect sense. It, 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 I mean, especially biblically, right? I mean, one of the most depressing uh, chapters in scripture is, you know, is Lamentations 3. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you see the way that uh, that Jeremiah responds because he has a framework. He has a theological framework for God's goodness, regardless of his circumstance. Yeah. And I think what you were saying, Jeremy, I think that's part of the grace of God uh, helping us not set our hope in faulty things that were never meant to carry our true hope, which yeah. is Christ and the Lord. And as uh, one of the professors, because uh, I'm, I'm going to Southern right now as well, um, Greg Allison and uh, Kostenberger's book, Sojourners and Strangers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think there's a grace in, in the reality that we are sojourners and we are not to put our hope in the things of this world, but the mm-hmm. things above. And I think that, and I think that's really apropos uh, to the point about depression in me, because that's, that's where we tend to meet. We, we find that we really do have our, our comforts in the things of this world. And we have a tendency to elevate those gifts that God has given us over the giver. And um, in his grace and goodness as a good father, he uh, he sorts that out in our hearts, and so our depression can be a good thing in terms of helping us rightly rightly ref- reflect God in that way. And so, but I I think these are super helpful. Uh, these four R's uh, just to kind of process when we're talking to people. And I think um, just going back to the renew piece before we get to there, Jeremy, is um, for those of you who are listening and you you may not, I know several of you aren't biblical counselors, um, certified biblical counselors. You're not putting yourself out there as biblical counselors, but you're a part of the body and you engage in your areas of influence and your marketplace ministry and other areas. And so I just want to encourage you to listen to these ours, uh, get Jeremy's book, and then it, it helps you become more intentional with your engagement with people. And Because again, most of ministry is informal. I would argue yeah. 90, I don't know what you would say percentile-wise, yeah. Jeremy, but it, I, I would, yeah, the majority of our ministry is informal, right? And so yeah. to me, this book really kind of helps uh, set you up uh, to be intentional in those informal areas of ministry. With that, the last R, Jeremy, renew. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Mike. So, so once you've related their experience to God and his purposes revealed in scripture, the, the, the renewed part is really just strategies for, for practicing change. Mm. So, so here's the thing. I, when I was a young counselor, I, I failed to do this well because I thought, man, I got to stay focused on the heart. I got to open the word. I got to make sure they're trusting the Lord in all the right ways. And I don't want to be behavioristic. So I don't want to like tell them things to do. But, but I quickly realized that's undermining 
part change process mm-hmm. by not giving practical guidance, right? So the renew portion is tell them to do stuff, strategize to change. In other words, if it really is true that God is trustworthy, if it really is true that depression is telling them a story about the meaning of their life that's making them shut down and things like that, what practical strategies can you provide for them that was is really going to help to reinforce the fact that God delights in the mundane and that and that he sees the meaning behind our moments in ways that we don't, right? We can't in the moment. We just we just need to keep going and be practical. So, so then you just give practical strategies. Like, like for instance, it could be as simple as, okay, your depression seems to flare up when provoked by X, Y, or Z, or when you're, when you isolate yourself in these different ways. So how do we, uh, how do we reduce the isolation and increase the engagement? Engagement with pleasurable activities, engagement with key relationships that that you probably want to avoid when you're in your depressive state but that's probably the worst time to avoid those so so what does it mean to reach out or to be engaged or have this regular you know meet standing you know connection point what does it mean for you to walk through scripture and to be prayerful in ways that are intentional um i'm always making an essential portion of this renew scripture and prayer and so i always tell my students don't tell people to read the bible and pray tell them how to read the Bible and how to pray. And especially in relation to the trouble that they're going through. Because I think a lot of times we assume people know what they're doing when they're open their Bible. And we think we almost have like this, this um, incantation understanding of how scripture works, but that's not it. You're, you're interacting with the living God regarding your own discipleship, your, your own life as a disciple. And so walk them through. What does it look like to engage with Psalm 23 regarding your depression? Um, and then how do you pray in regard to this? Walk them through that. And that becomes a practical reinforcement of the heart change. No, that's really good. And that piece is super helpful because to your point, you know, like I know um, in counseling in this very room that I'm in right here, in the counseling, a lot, a lot of people, you know, specifically as it relates to depression, their spiritual disciplines are pretty much non-functioning for the most part, yeah. right? Yeah. They, they don't have spiritual disciplines or whatever they feel they have or had. It's probably past tense at that point. But so part of the time of, you know, meeting with people is to your point is no, open up the word with them and walk through with them. This is the discipling piece of biblical counseling. It's yeah, that's right. you're in a stronger place. Show them how to do it. I, I yep. do. I, I think there's this, you know, because through osmosis, oh, you've been going to church for 20 years. Somehow we think that they they have a great devotion life and they know how to right. study scripture. And they don't. Most people, yep. most Christians don't. Um, they rely on their study Bibles to do a lot of the work. And I'm, I'm not judging them necessarily for that. But I think obviously in our culture of just having everything really convenient for us, I think that's one of the consequences. Um, yep. And it's the hard work. But so uh, to, to our listeners, again, um, th- these four R's are super helpful. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for just taking the time to walk through this book. Thank you for writing the book. Um, and uh, I, I hope we can have uh, some other episodes, too, because um, uh, one of your books, I've had Chris Moles on, for example, and Greg Wilson. Uh, I've had Greg Wilson on to talk about When Home Hurts, and uh, domestic abuse is actually uh, one of our ministries here at Truth Renewed Ministries that we uh, we have a men of peace group right now, and so anyway, I'd love to talk right. with you on a on another podcast about that. Um, yeah, happy to, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, but um, 
guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. Again, I would encourage you to to go get Jeremy's book. And also, this is a this is a plug. Southern is not uh, helping me out with this. They're not giving me uh, admission deals from this. But um, I just want to, out of the joy and thankfulness of what Southern is doing, uh, Southern has a diploma program for basically anybody over thirty years old. Um, where you don't have to have an undergrad. Um, but obviously, if you've been in ministry for a long time and you're at a particular place where you feel like you need some more study and, and, and some rigorous academic work to grow in God's Word and ministry. Uh, I, Jeremy, do you know how long the uh, diploma program has been on? Isn't it like a year or two? It, I mean, it's fairly new, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, it's been it's been a couple years, but it's up and running, and it, 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 it is analogous to our other classes. So that's the thing to be clear with folks. I mean, the cool thing is, is like you're taking really good, strong classes from... Uh, men and women far better than me like like yeah. just really great faculty yeah to, to jeremy's point y'all um we had five people from our church uh, go uh, and start at Southern. Uh, a couple of our counselors here at Truth Renewed as well. But they are, to your point, they're master level classes. You know, it's the same rigorous work. So I would encourage you to check it out. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. But I just wanted to, to make a point for that. For those of you, because uh, I know we've got some listeners in various parts of the world who don't have access to things, but that might be a, an, an option. Um, right. and, and and it's, right? on, it's online and in person. So yep. that's great. Thanks awesome. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Jeremy, thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next time. All right. We'll see you.